0: All right. Good evening, I'm Shane. I am a furniture restorer conservator living in Sydney.
1: Good morning, I'm Harry and I'm a furniture maker living in Bristol, England. And this is our, our podcast, Welcome to This Crafted World. This is episode... episode four? Yeah, four. Episode four. I'm going to be pitching this time. It's going to be a, a pretty brief pitch. and I think it'll be more of a conversation... Um, And I promise that's not due to lack of preparation. I promise. (laughs) But what I want to talk about today is kind of what does it mean for a piece of furniture to be made to last? Mm -hmm. We talked about, we kind of touched on longevity a little bit in the last episode. And we got kind of interested in having a a bit more of a chat about that. Yeah. So I I want to start with... So what, what, what does it mean to, for a thing to be made to last? Really, simply, it just means under normal use it's going to last a long time. <laughs> <laughs> That's done, thanks for listening. That's it, thank you guys. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> um, but it, it means a lot of different things and, and it also depends on who is kind of approaching the piece of furniture. I want to quickly just mention kind of what it means to the consumer. So as a furniture maker, I'm dealing with customers. For a customer, what does it mean for something to be made to last? It's often not the same as what it means to the maker, I find. Most of the time, if something's heavy, it seems to be considered to be made to last a long time. Uh It's an interesting approach. But that seems to be the way. In this country, anyway, it seems like the heavier the piece of furniture, oh, that's solid, lasts a long time. Good. Mm. Or, and the other thing's is if something is very expensive people consider it to be to last a long time or if something is labeled as handmade that often kind of goes hand in hand with all handmade Mm -hmm. made to last buy it once which as we know is not always the case but from a consumer's point of view maybe it's not a terrible terrible thing to be considering anyway Mm -hmm. i just wanted to quickly note what it might mean to a consumer. What I'm way more interested in talking about is what it means to the maker. So I want to talk about. Just first of all is so I I th- I've I had a thought. I've been thinking about this over the week in the workshop and kind of what when I think of the amount of time the thing is going to last. At what point in the process am I thinking of it breaking down, or the amount of time someone's going to have it in their home, and kind of when it, does that affect my decisions? And I've got a few points that I think sum it up quite well for me. So there's three main areas in which I consider. And that's in choice of materials, that's in choice of design and techniques. Techniques being not only the choice of techniques, but I also want to kind of throw under that bracket the kind of precision and quality of techniques. Mm-hmm. Under the design, the design point. I'm going to put construction as well, um, mm-hmm. and I want to come back to those in a second. So I've, I've got those those three main points, which which I want to consider when I'm thinking about longevity. But that's I, I wrote those down, and I, and I was kind of thinking, oh, that's that's not quite right. That seems a little bit kind of surface level, and I realised there's something kind of so much simpler, and I do think often more important, and that's if the thing is useful and attractive is one of the main things of whether it's going to last a long time and whether it will be as so for years to come like if i make something with really advanced techniques or really kind of precise work and really maybe even really good construction but it's fucking ugly <laughs> then, <laughs> then to be honest probably not going to last because no one's going to want it if there's often if there's no demand for a thing, then it's not going to stay around. So that is almost comes above the other thing. Mm. I don't know if that's true to the kind of most extreme extent, which would be like something is made not to last, but it's really cool. Then does it last because people look after it more because there's high demand, people want it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true and it doesn't seem right. Huh. But I think it's an interesting point that it's not just down to... Those three bullet points I said, but I'll, that's when I kind of want to ask you a question. If you were making a thing, mm-hmm. and I said you have to consider how long it's going to last in those three bullets. Yeah. which do you? Pri- which would you prioritize if you had to? So we mentioned in the last episode, kind of having to make sacrifices for the sake of making money commercial viability or whatever it might be we can't always kind of work in a the perfect romanticized way that we'd love to yeah so which would you put first would would it be your choice of materials would it be your design your construction or would it be the techniques and your kind of refinement of skill could you put one of those at the top do you think
0: Um, I would, so it's the way you structure this question is really interesting to me because you, you've structured it in a way where you're asking me in my control when I'm making it, when I'm designing it, which is a different answer to which one I actually think has the greatest impact on a piece. Yeah. Okay. Can you give Uh, me both? Yeah. So I, as, as wrong as it seems, I feel that the thing that's going to have, the greatest impact on the longevity of a piece is often that one about what you're touching on with design. And, and I actually, uh, I'll, I'll modify it a little bit, but is, is perceived value. Um, yeah. The yeah, per- okay. perceived value of a piece is going to have a greater impact on it. In, as far as I see, it, it, it impacts how much people are willing to to take care of it when they use it, rather than just trash it. How much people yeah. are going to you know pay to have it repaired, and perceived value in that case is both you know financial value, how much you know you could sell it for, but also value sentimentally or usefulness or anything along that line.
1: Yeah, heritage and, value could be loads of things.
0: Absolutely. How much you're going to maintain something, look after something, pay to have it restored and treat it nicely is yeah. going to have a bigger impact, I think. And 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 that, that's so difficult to control as well. But I think that fundamentally that's going to have probably the biggest impact on the longevity of any piece. As an example, about 20 years ago, somebody could have made... And, and built the perfectly constructed piece of furniture, really amazing materials that say some sort of hardened ceramic or something that's never gonna decay. Um, yeah. And they made VHS shelving that was perfectly fit for VHS tapes. That's yeah. made really well, perfect materials. It's not gonna last. It has no function or value to anyone after a certain period no. of time. And that's no. completely out of the control of that person who's gotta make that. So. That's kind of where yeah. I'm, I'm torn by your question. Because your question is, which one am I going to focus on? Because it's in my control. And that's yeah. different from what I think is going to have the greatest impact. In my control, I'd probably go with materials um, okay. over construction technique. And yeah. a really, really great example of this is um, that, that table that I posted about this week. Because yeah. we just had in Workshop with John this little table that's one of the oldest pieces of furniture I've ever worked on. Which, interestingly, is not a high-valued piece in its creation. It's, it's farmhouse furniture. It's folk furniture. It's something made by someone with low skill-ish. I mean, yeah. they, they were handy, um, but it's not yeah. a fine piece of furniture. It wasn't owned by anyone of, of importance, quote-unquote. Yeah. It's made from the materials that are around. It was probably made from green timber, rived rather than cut. The joinery is sloppy, the The timbers aren't square, the top doesn't really, it sits really weirdly. The construction of it is not hugely great. The design of it is fairly simple. It's still here though. And one of the reasons why it's still here is because, well, timber and, and the material choice that went into that. Now, construction, the way that material was used in the construction is really important yeah. so I kind of combine that the the construction method of mortise and tenon joinery with pegs in it which was this how everything in this came together although the top is nailed down which is really interesting that structure has great repairability and great strength and it tackles it can handle a lot of a lot of forces from different directions so it's going to yeah, last yeah. really well so there's a combination there of material and, and construction but I I do I mean if you make it out of something that's going to decay you can make it to perfect you know specs but yeah. the material rots away on you so I think that's I mean I, I guess I don't know oh it's a tricky one cuz I think that there's <laughs> like you know if you if you made it out of soggy paper it's not or you know you made it out <laughs> of you know, ground meat yeah it's not gonna last so you know your material is obviously really important but if you made it out of perfect materials but you just taped it together then obviously that's not gonna last so each one i guess has its has its low bar (laughs) that you've got to
1: reach to go for it that's very true do do you do you think people Like, i'm talking about modern day slightly slightly sidetracking i just Mm -hmm. had a thought but modern day do you think people throw away furniture because it it breaks, or on average, because it breaks, or because they no longer want it in their home. First,
0: Ooh, I don't know. In my, I can only draw from my experience working at at Bauer and what we saw. But unfortunately, a large portion of what we saw was the things that people still thought could have a second life. Yeah, um, of course, that's
1: why they came to you,
0: and that's why they came to you. So then I have to compare it against what I see on the side of the road. I don't actually have enough information data to make this assessment. But I, my feeling is that it's actually because they don't want it anymore, more than because it breaks. That's
1: kind of what I was thinking.
0: Yeah. And I think that also is impacted by what people buy. People buy kind of cheap furniture that they, they can get really quickly or they see it secondhand or, you know, they've just moved into a new place and they need a coffee table really quick. So they buy a yeah. piece of cheap furniture they move out they never really cared much for that piece it it gets trashed you know that's not that's not to say that you know if you designed a really or you made a really nice piece and and somebody was buying it because they were looking for that made to last piece that would obviously be treated more and that kind of lives in a different demographic yeah. of, of furniture I guess so yeah. I think one of the biggest impacts is is purchasing of furniture in that as well if that makes any yeah. sense
1: no that makes a lot of sense that's what I was thinking mm. um, I think I do think on the whole in terms of buying just talk about buying new furniture I, I do think the amount of people who are attracted to that piece or how well that piece fits in the home talking about this country anyway I think that has a shorter lifespan than the construction of the piece kind of the the What's the word I'm looking for? Before the piece falls apart, basically is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I, I think for new furniture anyway, a lot of it will will last longer than the time between people decorate their homes. Yeah, and the vast majority of the furniture is like you said that kind of.
0: You pick it up because, to fill a gap.
1: Yeah, you pick it up. You've picked it up to fill fill a gap. Um, and maybe that changes with the demographic as well. I mean, of course, it changes with the de- demographic. I, I would assume, and it is just a, a fairly blind assumption, that the younger people will tend to, with less disposable income and maybe different living situations, they're going to lean towards cheaper, more, fill a gap. I need a desk. I'm going to pick up a desk for as cheap as I can. So that, like you said, it, it comes down to the purchasing and, and who's doing the purchasing.
0: Yeah, which so is... yeah
1: an interesting one.
0: My thought on that was always to, to tell people look you know if, you, if you're filling a gap buy second hand get something that's there it's available Definitely. to do the job while you save up for a good quality version of the thing that you actually yeah. want to, to be with you forever if if you're so inclined but you know yeah. you take advantage of something that's already out there and then and then really invest in something well made when you're not just trying to fill a gap real quick but that's a totally different that's a totally different subject to a certain yeah. degree yeah. I think one of the things that you touched on there is really interesting in terms of it can be made really well, but if if the style changes in a shorter time yeah. than the longevity of the piece, that's a to- that's outside the control, which I touched on as well. We had, um, at the Woodworkers Association of New South Wales, they had a guest speaker a while ago that I thought was really fantastic. He, did, he was one of the main architects behind this timber structure, yeah. kind of a big building in the city with timber framing rather than cement wanted to avoid cement entirely Oh yeah I remember so,
1: we talked about this when i was in sydney
0: yeah cool really yeah. pretty building but yeah he yeah, built really it cool. um timber that was actually shipped over from europe because he found that that had less carbon impact than getting it from australia which is a totally different story but one of the things that he was talking about that he was thinking about in its design was he actually made it so that the whole building could be taken apart later as well you could disassemble the building really easily because and his reasoning for this was that the property market in sydney in his eyes is such that every 30 years they basically redevelop um, whole areas so he he has to kind of assume that in 30 years time even if he makes this perfect building there's a chance that somebody will want to destroy it and build something else there and so he kind of made his building so it could be taken apart and and changed which is also an, another like it's a different type of longevity is having your, like, your piece able to be knocked apart and made into something new but it was something that I thought was really interesting when he was thinking about the longevity of this piece and the future of this building that he was making that he was taking yeah. into account the likelihood that somebody was actually going to want to build something new there and then planning for that likelihood.
1: Yeah, definitely. Kind of the the understanding of changing trends and style yeah. came before anything else.
0: Which is, it's it's a little bit different than making to last in your traditional sense where, you know, you've got your, your piece of furniture or whatever, you know, in that kind of sense of they don't make them like they used to and back then yeah. things were made yeah, to last yeah. and this is going to be around for hundreds of years that attitude that I, I actually really think is a great attitude to have when trying to make something, which is, you know, it, it's sturdy and it's, it'll hold up and, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be around for a long time. It's, this is a different approach where it's like, I'm thinking about the longevity of this thing and the chances are high that it will be taken apart. So what can I do to, to make that process the best it can be so that the piece can mm-hmm. then live on? His idea was that you could take this building and you could ship it out in its pieces to some other place and reassemble the whole building again. And that would allow his building to last a lot longer.
1: Yeah. Such a cool project. Mm. How long ago was that?
0: Not too long ago. It was only in the last few years that they finished it.
1: Oh, still there then. Yeah, definitely still there. (laughs) (laughs) I drive by it every day on the way to work. Oh, cool. Not change that quickly.
0: No, thank, oh, thank goodness.
1: I'm really interested in, in whether he he's right and it, and it kind of plays out like he hopes.
0: Yeah, I'd, I don't know. And, and if, like, I, listening to him, I was thinking it was actually quite hopeful of him to think that they would rebuild quite it hopeful. somewhere else. But it, he, yeah. it's the best, he, he almost, from memory, it almost seemed like he knew that, but it was the best they could do to a certain degree to yeah. try and tackle this yeah. issue.
1: Which is the same as kind of thinking about repairability when you're making furniture. I've I've heard a lot of discussion about it um, on other podcasts as well, actually. Yeah. And the uh, quite common response is that yeah, you can make it repairable, but it's probably not going to be repaired. So why are you bothering? Kind of why are you taking the time? Yeah. Which is kind of really frustrating for me because, in the same way that you just said, it is hopeful. It and it is hopeful because I don't know that anyone's going to bother. Yeah. Um, And that comes back to kind of the inherent value of the piece and whether people want it to stick around. Yeah. link links nicely to all of, all of our consideration points. But, uh, yeah, I think that kind of... It, it is a hopeful approach, but I do believe it's the right approach.
0: Yeah, I, do, I can't... Yeah, I'm, I, I'm with like, you. It's what, like what? that whole Sisyphus pushing the rock up the hill thing. It's like, yeah... Yes probably not but i mean (laughs) it's what i gotta do like it
1: yeah yeah it has no chance of surviving longer
0: if if you don't make it it repairable
1: exactly and and if i'm making it repairable and then giving it as much value as i can Mm. beyond the monetary value like like we said in in good design in kind of a style that i think might hang around for a good amount of time if you're kind yeah. of giving it its best chance in all of those different regards and then it's repairable then kind of just feels more likely done it rather than making something i mean as it's... strong as possible yeah um, um but i don't know it it is an interesting one because you, you can make something absolutely as strong as you can like we mentioned the yeah. kind of two approaches last time you make something as strong as you can that isn't repairable but maybe you've considered all these different things so well that it has so much inherent value that people are going to make a good effort to keep it around anyway yeah i mean but that just seems unlikely to me it seems well, like you i feel you're better to hedge your bets on the side of make it repairable than i'm going to do a groundbreaking design it and i'm going to become a famous maker so they're going to want it to stick around yeah, that seems less likely to me than just making it repairable and as good as I possibly can
0: I think there are well first of all on, on a note that you, you said a moment ago I, I have to do I have to rant about clocks cause
1: <laughs> oh god yeah <laughs> I know what you're going to say <laughs> is
0: they're awful so old they're long, case, old long case long case clocks um, your grandfather clock type things Yeah, are terribly made they break so many rules of, of what you think of in, in wooden construction as good, good as key principles. You have the yeah. back panels where the timber grain is going two different directions, which you know yeah. means one of them is gonna split or it's gonna push the carcass <laughs> apart in some yeah. way. Just these basic yeah. principles of, of woodworking, that there's no yeah. joinery in them. They're held together with glue box and nails.
1: Yeah, corner blocks, yeah, they're horrible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> None of those things that when we talk about, you know, uh, I'm making something to last and I'm doing good woodworking practices and I'm doing joinery and I'm thinking about my wood movement, none of those things went into building these long case clocks. And they have survived for hundreds of years and they've survived, in my limited opinion, for hundreds of years because they had a value, because people, first of all, they sit there and you're not using it so you know you're not pulling drawers in and out of it regularly so you're not wearing it down in that way but it it also there are artifacts that you care for that that we see regularly in furniture shops because there's this idea of value in them and so people put money into paying for them to be restored regularly and so when you're you know when you say, I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was, but you know, you could design it to, to be this, but if you're not making it repairable, I don't know if it will. Yeah, there yeah. there's really good evidence of badly made things of high quote unquote value yeah. that have lasted longer than well made things that I've seen yeah. get thrown away after much shorter periods of time. So yeah. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one. Definitely occurs that construction. Yeah, that's and that for me, when I said before, I think that the that perceived value is so much more important in many ways than how it's made. That's top on my list. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think it yeah, with the Grandfather Clock is a kind of long case, it's a really good example because it it comes to the the function of the piece and that it's not kind of it's not your common piece of utilitarian furniture. You don't need a long case clock in your house to kind of live comfortably. Yeah. So it you you get that added value in all this fancy thing to have in my house. Yeah. Yeah. So they tend to, they tend to stick around, which is a really interesting one. So does that mean, let's try and make something that feels fancy because it might stick around longer. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, how uh, many
0: how many of these things should you actually be taking into consideration? I mean, to a certain yeah. regard, you're, you're meeting a brief, you know? Like, yeah. they ask for a kitchen table, you don't give them a, a clock, uh, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you guys, know I that that will... kitchen table is going to get worn down, it's going to get used.
1: I think this will last longer, <laughs> so have a clock. Yeah. <laughs> You I, I did business long. I,
0: I know you asked me to make a chair for your child, but I've done the research, and child chairs just, they just don't last. So, no. here's a solid block of granite.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's the way. Terrible, terrible customer relations. <laughs> Yeah, I
0: mean, yeah. There's always a give and take. I mean, if if we were to try and find the perfect way to to make something last forever, we wouldn't be working with timber. We'd be working with ceramics because ceramics yeah. are a material that don't break down as much as yeah. anything else. Um, uh, do you know of the the ten thousand year clock by any chance?
1: No, I don't think so.
0: It was. It's a really interesting project. It's not as interesting as I would like it to be. <laughs> Most things aren't. Um, <laughs> But it was, it was a project on making something to last. So the idea yeah. was to build a clock that would run for 10,000 years without breaking down, essentially. Right. Um, and they built it in a mountain somewhere. And he was going through material choices, and he was looking at all these things. did a bunch of research into like, what, what old objects were still around and what had allowed them to last. Now, a lot of those things are completely unhelpful to us, potentially as furniture makers, Um, because some of them were like, if it gets lost and buried in a cave, it does a really good job of surviving (laughs) tens of thousands of years. You know, if it's in the middle of nowhere and no one goes to see it, then it lasts a really long time. Not particularly helpful to us. But there was material choice was important. So, and, and there was the decision to change some aspects from stainless steel to ceramics, because Certain ceramic materials just last so much longer, but we're not looking. I mean, ten thousand years for a piece of furniture. This that's you're really pushing it. No one, I think, when they say I'm going to make this blanket box to last, is thinking that it'll last for ten thousand years. No. It's definitely a uh, you know a few hundred years would be pretty dang good. Yeah. Then again, you have. Uh, one of the other things that was mentioned was temples in Japan, which do last a really long time. But again, the reason they last a really long time is because they have a high perceived value, and, yeah, and there are regular repair. maintenance and repair rituals associated with it. Yeah. And they are built; they're built out of timber, and and I think that's so. Timber is nice this way. I know I'm jumping around a little bit. I apologize to, to the listener. Going back to the long case though, even though it's made really poorly and this comes back to my first answer to your question as to why materials seemed bigger to me the materials that a long case clock is made out of are relatively easy by their nature to fix you have wood and you have usually some sort of coating often shellac now although originally it was potentially something else but it was probably stripped off and replaced with shellac by someone at some point yeah. Um, and those materials are are fairly easy to repair and adding new timber onto old timber is quite easy there's nothing complicated to them there's nothing that someone in a repair shop with basic tools and materials couldn't deal with yeah. and i i think sometimes i see a lot of contemporary pieces that are made very thoughtfully but they often design specialty hardware for how yeah. the piece is gonna to go together. You know, the legs are attached with this this new joint mechanism that they've built. Now that joint mechanism breaks down on your chair, that's not something in a someone in their shed is going to be able to to repair no. fairly yeah. easily. And so you you limit the longevity or the repairability of that by having a specialty piece of hardware. For the yeah. moment. I mean, until, I don't know, everyone is a welder and 3D printers can do everything. <laughs> yeah. Which might be the case. Yeah. But I think that's also one of the reasons why long cases last. If they were made with very, very particular bit, they might not.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, and maybe it, it is that kind of... Like, like, like you said, it's, kind of a, it's, a, it's not a good construction, but, like you said, in, in, the sh- in your shed or the layman can see how that's gone together Mm. really on the whole i i don't need much kind of prior knowledge of furniture construction or joinery to to see that that corner block is holding those two pieces at 90 degrees yeah um and that was glued on and maybe a screw through it so maybe that's part of it too they are accessible really to to repair and to put back together because they seem quite simplistic from the inside yeah. i mean they look Maybe fancy that's part of it too but you yeah know, exactly. once you
0: actually go into it it's it's a pretty easy to recognize construction
1: yeah so we uh, should we should make shiny things that are really just <laughs> terribly constructed <laughs> but simple but simple yeah that I, seem to have a really high value and we've solved it you t-
0: i like that you <laughs> it seems like you just got this checklist like every time something comes up, you just add this and I, I love the so, idea that yeah. later on, you're going to have this checklist <laughs> on your wall. Like, <laughs> All right, it's going to be really shiny. It's going gonna... to...
1: Is it a clock? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Can um, I repair it in my shed? Yeah. In that
0: regard, though, um, at the Bower a while ago, we mm. were facing this, because this was something I spent a lot of time thinking about, more than I reasonably needed to for that job. But we played in... We started making couple pieces we never really got making off the ground but i started trying to make pieces with wedged dowel joinery because oh yeah and the reasoning behind that was that it was exactly what you talk about something that someone could look at and theoretically understand and then easily fix at home with basic tools. And the, the, the idea here is if you have you know, dowel joinery, if you're familiar with that, you've got the leg of your chair going against the frame of your chair with some hidden dowels inside. One of the issues there is that the dowels in, in the piece where the dowels are going the same direction as it, that's got really good uh, glue strength because you've got long grain to long grain there. But the dowel going into the upright <coughs> piece is, is not very good. But if you extend that all the way out the end, So if you actually, like, put your two pieces together, drill in from the outside, take a long dowel, cut a slot in the end, put glue on it, shove it in the hole, and then shove a wedge in it. This is so not going to work well in audio, me trying to describe this. But what you get is a a joint that's stronger than your standard dowel joinery, but you can access it from the outside. If that dowel breaks, you can easily drill it out put in a new dowel on a new wedge and that was kind of the idea behind that that you that someone could fix that with very very basic equipment at any point in like any shop but i don't i don't i think i made one piece with that and it's probably already in the trash because it looked ugly so you know who knows
1: (laughs) yeah so that comes above that but yeah i think i'll post a photo of i I think i know the piece you're talking about it was like a it was a a rebate corner on a cabinet was it and you put the dowels yeah i'll i'll post that photo i think that illustrates it quite well but i think that's a really good point and that's something i, I learned about kind of through not trial and error but through my own development at west dean i did a few things with quite which i mentioned in the last episode quite silly joinery like very strong and i was confident in the construction and it it felt like it was a good thing to be doing but taking that apart in the future like, do you remember when we assembled my little bookcase yeah cool construction it was all sliding dovetails and things like that but the the top went on with it's kind of a, a bare face sliding dovetail so it's just the one side had the tail on it mm-hmm. and then there was kind of a kind of a wedge it's more of a key to not actually tapered that that knocks down the side of it oh i
0: do remember we we
1: yeah yeah i remember that and it, it, it was a problem to get it together. Yeah. But the whole idea of that was the top would slide on without having to hammer it on. And mm-hmm. then I could just tighten it up at the end. In yeah. hindsight, tapered sliding dovetails are designed to do exactly that in a much more simple way. But kind of thinking about that now, that's an absolute. you'd never get that top back off no. without breaking it. There is absolutely no way you would kind of back that joint back out because it's... Bloody tight as hell, and and that is something I've I've really evolved from, and now in my designs, and even after that, and to be honest, it it is with the the advent of you coming to SD and oh. probably me and you starting to have those conversations, kind of started thinking about things like that, and actually, I've just created either a pain in the ass for someone on in the future, or a thing that's just going to get thrown away because no one, no one's going to attempt it, um, so. I think that is a really good point as well. And it doesn't mean to make everything like a grandfather plot or doesn't mean to just use simple joinery as such. But there is something to be said for, like you were, you mentioned with the, the wedge dowels, vis- visible stuff. Hmm. If something is too contained and too kind of completely hidden, you're going to break it trying to get it apart because you're guessing. Yeah. But if that's a mortise and tenon, then I'm probably going to assume it's a mortise and tenon, and I'm probably just going to try and try and back it out. So th- there's something to be said for kind of traditional, proven joinery in terms of taking something back apart yeah. and doing something that is somewhat predictable. Which is or,
0: a, I mean, which is a design limitation. I mean, if you can only ever do things that definitely. that are the way they've been done, I, I can understand why you would rebel against that. Potentially, Yeah, oh,
1: no, no doubt, yeah, no doubt, and and I think that's kind of where I was going with my kind of earlier pieces at West Dean. I was trying to do some cool joinery that no one bothers doing, mm. um, and I was like, I can do this so precise, and it's going to be so strong, and 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 yeah, maybe that is that kind of I don't want to do it as constructed like everyone else is doing it, but there is kind of good reason for it. Turns out. yeah apparently so apparently so sometimes Uh, sometimes yeah it's an interesting one have you got anything else on made to last or um we go into specific
0: construction materials but i don't think we need to
1: unless anyone's got a specific question on something like that then absolutely love to talk about
0: it yeah if somebody has a project and they're not certain love to to talk about those with people yeah
1: ping us a message if you're yeah maybe in the design stage or you're making something kind of considering these things we'd love to have a chat about it
0: yeah there is the but there's there's a certain amount of it that's outside of your control and that'll always be the case Definitely. but you've got to in as we said before i think people should at least try like give it the best chance that you can yeah, yeah that's that's my takeaway from that conversation
1: yeah yeah I, I think it's i think we're always going to end up going a little bit round in circles on this this conversation because our experience in this specific thing is fairly side by side because we've been side by side for a fair while yeah um and we've had so many talks about this so yeah i would I like i
0: you. would like to get, actually bring in some people to chat with us with very different experiences
1: yeah. i think we we're going to end up kind of just agreeing with each other over and over which i'm kind of cautious of because I don't want to listen to that
0: <laughs> <No>.
1: <laughs> but yeah I think that, I think that was really great um, it's a really valuable thing to talk about yeah what have you been doing what have I been doing so, you've been doing loads of stuff,
0: I've been doing loads, of stuff. I've been doing loads of little things
1: as always <laughs> which is great it's nice it's
0: um, like, like
1: like we said just before it's kind of yeah. more achievable
0: things more <laughs> achievable things and <laughs> the best kind of goals yeah and I love them I love the little jobs I really do I love a little job that's that's detailed and refined and then I can kind of be happy with it and move on to the next little job like just today I was carving the replacing a horn on a sculpture of a little uh cow yeah great little project it's just one tiny little piece I get to focus on that focus on carving which is always a mental kind of just I'm absorbed in the process until it's nice and then I pass that on yesterday I turned the new top like this little finial on the top of a mirror stand
1: oh I saw your post about that that looked awesome that was
0: again just a nice all-in for a few hours getting this thing done toying around with colors getting it shaped getting it attached extremely satisfying little little job and those those are always good The problem I have with them more often than not, though, is they're often like four or five hour jobs, and then I don't feel like starting another job. So in an eight hour day, I kind of done a four or five hour thing. Yeah, I get that. Yeah.
1: I get that. Uh, That is the downside
0: to those, but I I absolutely love them. So it has been a lot of those, going over and helping John out, prepping some um, frames for gilding, did another house full of furniture for waxing. But probably the big thing I did over the weekend was that I'm most excited about was getting ready for this finishing class that I'm teaching on Saturday.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, the boards look so nice.
0: Um, it, nothing else. I am making no... I'm losing money on this course. Hands down, yeah. absolutely losing a few hundred dollars on this course. But I do not regret it for an instant. This has been an amazing process because I wasn't certain when I signed up to do it, that I could actually do it. I was asked to teach a course in finishing. I felt very strongly that yes, people should be better at finishing, but mm. I didn't feel strongly that I actually knew enough to be the person teaching them. Yeah. And that really kicked me into doing more research, doing more practice, doing more study. I wrote up this you know, 12 page handout that went out to everyone that's got lists of different terminology in finishing, you know how to tell the difference between brushes, how to, you know, make a, a French polishing wad, like just yeah. wrote out all the stuff. And some of it I wrote out because I didn't know it when I started prepping for the course. And then um, in the last week I had to prep all the boards. And because it's a single day course, um, it's a single day course in furniture finishing. And furniture finishing, of course, involves multiple coats. And some of the things that we're working with...
1: (laughs) Seems like you're doing an impossible thing, Shane.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So some of the things we're working with are like oils. And oils innately dry over a long period of time, more than a day. So I had to prep all these boards for them because I want them to do... They're going to do an oil finish so that they can practice that technique with a rag. They're going to do a varnish finish so they can practice that technique with a brush. And they're going to do a brushed shellac and they're gonna do a polished shellac. Mm -hmm. That way they get a range of techniques and materials um, in the course of the day. And to be able to do that, I had to prep all these boards. So they've got their oil board and their varnish board where I pre-sanded two thirds of it and did a first coat on one third and two coats on the other third. So that when they get it, they can do their first coat on, on the unfinished section. They go through the sanding process, they do one coat. And then rather than yeah. having to wait for that to try to do the second one, they can do their second code on the one and I've already right. done, and they can do their kind final I, code on the one I've already done.
1: Uh, here's one I made earlier. Yeah. Chess program thing.
0: But that way they can get the experience of each of those. Because in my mind, yeah. I saw, you know, your first code's one process. All your middle coats are usually pretty much the same process. And then your top code is a third process. And those are the three yeah. techniques that you need to know with each of these finishes, or at least with oils and varnishes. Brushing and polishing shellac's a different story, which we'll go through. But you can do yeah. shellac all in one go, so I wasn't worried about that.
1: And is that is that going to change if you do it as a two-day course?
0: Yeah, because, I mean, it was... I spent two and a half whole days prepping this course, sanding all those pieces. I mean, by whole days, I mean I stopped to play uh, video games a lot between sessions because I was doing it in my house. <laughs> but um, it, it was a lot of prep that I think is unreasonable, unsustainable for me to do if I, if I do it yeah. again. Um, so if you do it yeah. two days, then they can do their first coat on the first day and they can do their second coat on the second day. And that's a little bit more controllable, which, which I think is the right way to go. The varnish, the, the other really exciting thing is the varnish that they're using in the class is a Copal linseed oil varnish that I made last week as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That is so cool. I I I've been I read your article again. Yeah. Um, and I really want to. I really want to do it. I want to make some varnish. Yeah. Ah, um, oh, so cool.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm so so excited about it. Um, and now I feel really confident to do it. And so I'm i yeah. It when I teach this course, we're always going to use a varnish that I'll make. Um, and I like <sighs> that a lot because. I don't really like going in and saying, here's so-and-so's brand of whatever, and then the students go out and make that. I'm teaching you this technique that applies to a variety of materials. So if I use just yeah. this sample one that I made, then they're thinking again, not about, oh, this is what happens if I use this varnish, It's they're thinking, you know, this is the process for varnishes in general.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. and yeah i had a question and you answered it there no. yeah i think yeah all all i was going to say is how do you make it seem accessible because obviously you're you're not necessarily encourage them to make their own varnish are you mm-hmm. you're you're using that as here's how we might apply varnish and then are you going to go into at all here's what varnishes look like in a can here's what people call them oh yeah here's so- what to look out for
0: well, here, here's the one downside. In the in the plan and the write-up, um, we're gonna mix up shellac. That's fairly straightforward. And oil is oil, so that's, you know, there. But we were gonna make varnish. The, at the beginning of the day, when they arrived, I'd be having the ingredients out, I'd already be warming up the oil, and then I could talk to them while I was greeting them about what I was doing, and then that would sit and cook, and we'd check on it intermediately over the next three hours. The downside is that the it has to be done outside, because the yeah. smoke that comes off the linseed oil is very bad, um, very bad, and you don't want to have that inside, and it's raining, or it's forecast to rain on Saturday, so I can't. What are you going to do? I don't know. I can't do that, as far as I'm aware, unless I build some sort of traveling
1: <laughs> hut. <laughs> I tell you what you could do is You could do is spending more time preparing for this course. <laughs> so I think, I think build a little structure.
0: But I mean, the, the process, the reason I really want to do that is not so much to, you know, teach them this is how you make a varnish or to encourage them that they should be making their own varnish, even though I think it's great. Um, yes. It's more because varnishes are really intimidating. You get a can of something off the shelf and you don't know what's in it. And if we, but if we, in my opinion, which is what that article that we probably shouldn't be talking about is about, if you, if you go back 100 years, you go back 150 years, and you make varnishes the way they were made then, you can understand the basics of what goes into them, and that process has been continued over the last 100 years, but they just seem so much less intimidating to me when I can break yeah. them down and understand where they came from. And that I want, to, I want to do. It's like that chair. You know, it's the same attitude. You know, you take yeah. apart the chair and you put it back together. You take apart the varnish, you show it in its parts. You show it coming demystifying together.
1: you what's in it. Yeah. What, what goes into making that up. And same, yeah, same with the chair. Because a lot of the that concepts
0: are relatively sense. simple. After you can wrap your head around what the differences are between the materials. But if you can't, because it, it's really confusing and it's all just a big muddied mess and you've heard all these weird statements... It's so hard to navigate and, and get a good result, in my opinion. Yeah. And so I, I really wanted to do that with them to help demystify that concept. I think that's awesome. I'm really...
1: Wh- when are you teaching that?
0: That's um, two days from today. Oh, fuck yeah. That's so, mm. that so exciting. I will definitely let you know how it goes. I'm I'm super excited about it. And I've also got all these sample boards, you know, what oils look like, sanded up to different grits. um uh, French polish on oak with the pores filled and with the pores not filled. and Yes. Just, I I've just had an absolute blast doing it and testing th- <laughs> like some of those things I wanted to know for myself. And, yeah. And so it was a really good excuse to do those projects, which is why I say, you know, I'm losing a few hundred on this because I put so much into this time and, and I bought really nice materials and everyone's got this really nice layout with squeezy bottles and stainless steel cups and stuff. Um, cause I yeah. wanted it to be right, but I feel like I've gotten a huge amount out of it in the process. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that was definitely the biggest thing in my last week.
1: That's brilliant. That is amazing. Really nice. How was your, um,
0: how was your George unit coming along? Oh, I'm you did unit. teaching though.
1: I did do teaching. I'm a teacher now. Yeah. Um, I have students now. Yeah. I did teaching. So well, I did, I've done... To, so I'm now slowly going through the process of taking over the Monday evening class at the Maker's Shed in Bristol, mm-hmm. um, which is the kind of level three advanced, in inverted commas, woodworking. Um, most of them have gone through level one and two at the Maker's Shed, which they kind of encourage for this one. And they're working on their own projects, and it's kind of an ongoing thing, which I love because it's such... Uh, in contrast to preparing and teaching the kind of course that you were just talking about there's it's kind of a problem-solving exercise because I'm working with the students to to kind of get through their project and making sure they're learning about all these different things and they're doing good work and ah oh, I love it. it it's amazing unfortunately as of 12 hours ago we've gone into lockdown <laughs> nationwide for four weeks minimum so I've stopped teaching now. for four weeks. yeah, but we had we we had two sessions, and Jenny, the the lady that that set up the Maker Shed, was really pleased, and she felt really positive about about me being part of the course and awesome. me taking on on her students. Um, she's also um, confirmed that she wants two weekend classes designed and taught by me for the new year, which will cool. be a two day sharpening and tool care. And a two-day finishing course which is why I'm so keen on your <laughs> course <laughs> um uh and they're yeah she's so she's planning the calendar out for them now so they're confirmed which is really exciting so there's lots of work to do in prepping those that's kind of been a highlight for me get getting into into the maker's shed it's just such an awesome place well else I've been doing yeah the drawed unit is all assembled I've been fitting all the runners and I've put the top framework on, so he's now all together. It's just a top to go on and draws to make, mm-hmm. which is a challenge because, and I'm going to post about it today, hopefully on my Instagram, um, you'll see the kind of space limitations I'm I'm dealing with at the moment in the workshop. It's It's not a massive unit, but I have a very small workshop and it's just a nightmare i've also just bought lots of wood and for kind of the first time ever i've got a full sheet of ply in the workshop which is yeah i saw that horrible why do you have that yeah really really convenient that is (laughs) um oh god yeah ridiculous i'm like kind of walking sideways through my workshop because i have so such a small area to to walk in and I cut one of those sheets of ply in half while it was stood on end in the workshop, because it was the only way I could do it. sat on the floor (laughs) with a saw. Oh God. Anyway, I have workshop space, I can't complain too much. So yeah, and I've got all the timber for the hedgehog houses, which is what one of those sheets of ply is. Ah, of course. hardwood, Hardwood ply. And I've got a shit ton of larch, like local larch that was felled in Bristol. It's lovely. It's actually so much nicer than I thought and I wish I bought more to keep, because it happens to all be really nicely quarters on, and it's, oh, it's stunning. Like, the hedgehogs are going to be so pleased.
0: They're going to be very, very happy hedgehogs.
1: They're going to they're be thrilled. It, that is a bit of an issue, because we were going to teach. So the hedgehog houses are going to be kits. I'm going to make up kits for primary school kids to put together. Although schools are still open in the lockdown, I don't think I'll be able to go in and teach. But the hedgehog houses need to be out before the hedgehogs go into hibernation, so I'm not quite sure how that's going to play out yet. Mm -hmm. At the moment, it's just a case of carry on and make them, and we'll figure it out later, which is fine. Um, So, yeah, and that's what else. I've been surfing. I went surfing on the weekend. saw that? That seemed nice. Yeah, that was great. It was really cold. It was a storm. Awful. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it it looked like your worst nightmare. Yeah, I the would have, Oh, I would have cold died. weather. You would have died would instantly. Have died. But yeah, oh it was amazing. There was very few people in the water because it was horrible weather. <laughs> um but me me and two of my friends, yeah. It was that was great fun. Um and that was just kind of uh a last thing we wanted to do while while we still can meet up. Yeah. Before the lockdown happens that was a good thing to do nice but other than that just been tripping over stuff in the workshop mainly
0: what's your um what's your time frame for the drawer unit what are you thinking you still got all um, the drawers to make all the, drawers the carcass to make. looks really good
1: yeah i'm really pleased with it it's such a cool construction um there's actually some really it looks fairly simple but there's some really cool joinery going on with, like weird double tenons that that <laughs> when we say, say a new simple joinery, that people are going to guess. Oh. <laughs> but this makes perfect sense, and you should assume that it's done this way. There's like a, on the vertical and horizontal dividers that will go between the drawers on the front of the cabinet, there's this kind of lap joint, which then the runner that goes back from that has double tenons that kind of straddle the lap joint. Really, really cool, and I'll, I'll post a photo of it if I've got one. But yeah, it, it more difficult than I thought, kind of constructing that whole thing so it's strong because it's quite deep and it's they're big drawers. It's only got four drawers in it, so they're huge. The drawers are gonna be interesting. I'm kind of kinda of weighing up thicknesses at the moment, wall thicknesses of the drawers. Because I, I like to do ridiculous things with thicknesses of timber. But I'm a bit concerned for this one, because they do have to be strong, so probably gonna take a bit of weight. So that's what I'm thinking at the moment in of t- time scale. There's no there's no hard deadline on it, but I'm hoping less than two weeks. Yeah. Um. But obviously the hedgehog houses are going to have to come in that time because they need to hibernate. So they really need to be done by next Thursday, which is obviously going to delay my draws a little bit. Um. And lockdown is actually more of a pain in the ass than I thought it was going to be. Because it's going to really limit the time I can get up to my other workshop, which is a slightly bigger space. Um, yeah. So it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. So it might be the case that I'm focusing on planning the courses and doing some drawing work. Um yeah. got some interesting commission to come in, come in that I'll talk to you about soon. Not quite yet. Um, cool. So yeah, there's, there's other things to do. So I wouldn't be surprised if it gets it delayed gets, a little bit more bad. than yeah, I would fine. have liked. But yeah, all all good things, really, all good things, ha- having fun.
0: I'm really excited that you're teaching now, and I'm a little bit bummed that immediately you're going back into
1: lockdown, but take care over there yeah. while all that's on, because it doesn't look great. No, numbers are quite scary. Yeah, yeah we're, being, we're being careful. Yeah, that's what i got to just consider with the other workshop, because I share it with my mm, friend. We'll go for a friend. Yeah. um Alan who lives um, with his mother who's elderly so I'm cautious of it yeah. so if it means delaying finishing stuff, fine that's no, no one's yeah no one's going be going to be funny about about that everyone's I tend to have really nice customers at the moment, which is lovely. that's really
0: lucky too. <laughs> really fortunate, really mm. fortunate
1: there's nothing pushing I mean the worst customer at the moment is the bloody hedgehogs
0: Ah what's wrong with the hedgehogs?
1: Well, apparently, they want to go to sleep soon for ages. (laughs) (laughs) They need a house to do it in. (laughs) 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 Right, on that note, I'm going to wrap it up. Yeah. We've had some nice feedback. Thanks, guys. If you've got any questions, you can ask them. Come on. (laughs) But we're feeling good about it, positive about it. I am anyway. Yeah. 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 Good. All right. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers and bye.